Support for this podcast is provided by Cosmic, a Portland-based agency consisting of technologists, storytellers, and strategists who help nonprofits and B Corps quickly grow revenue and impact. Start growing your mission-driven organization with Cosmic at AmplifyPDX.com. Support for this podcast is provided by Cressa. Cressa is the Occupier's Champion, the world's premier corporate real estate advisory firm, exclusively serving startup businesses and major global organizations alike. As a Portland pillar for over 25 years, Cressa partners with its clients throughout the entire project lifecycle, from workplace strategy and discovery through the deal transaction and project management delivery of space. Cressa partners without conflict and applies integrated expertise to make your business better. Go to cressa.com Portland to connect with the Portland advisory team. From that cast creative, I'm Dan Bruton, and this is the PDX Executive Podcast. A show where I talk with inspiring leaders who are shaping the future of Portland, Oregon. Every week I sit down with business executives, startup founders, and community leaders to dive into their career journey and get insights into the impactful work they're doing in our slice of the great Pacific Northwest. Hey everyone, welcome back to the PDX Executive Podcast. If you've been listening for a little while, and I, you know, I've said this before, I'm totally a nerd about startups, early stage companies. I love talking to people that are doing impactful work around that here in Portland and just Oregon. So I'm very excited to have our next guest who, if you're involved in that space, you know this person probably. So Kira Toronto, who's the President and Executive Director for the Oregon Entrepreneurs Network, better known as OEN. So, uh, Kara, thanks for joining the show. Thanks for having me. Good to be here. So you're just eight weeks into the new gig. It's like <laughs> nine, but sure. <laughs> okay, cool. So I think a good place to start is just like, hey, tell us about kind of the uh, the role and in, in, uh, OEN, which has been around for a while, but just kind of what uh, with organizations maybe up to right now. Yeah, great. Absolutely. So uh, OEN has been around for almost 32 years. Wow. I know a ton about the history, which is fun if you ever want to go down that rabbit hole and has always been around to support entrepreneurs, founders, innovators in Oregon and Southwest Washington with an emphasis around uh, access to capital. And I think that's definitely part of what's evolved in the last 30 years and will continue is while that does mean financial I think we've all realized the value of social capital Mm -hmm. and how important that is. And then that kind of rings true when you think about that the N in OEN, like the network is going to be the place where you can find all those things. And so um, where we've always sort of supported entrepreneurs is not just like what investors can I go to, but you know what, perhaps I need to understand like debt financing or how can I approach somebody from a loan standpoint? And so we have the ability to bring together the entrepreneurs, the investors, and then also all of the partners or um, service providers that support entrepreneurs along the way. And tell us a little about your your kind of journey, because I know you've been involved in this, I don't know, world's right way to say it for for quite a while from different, you know, here in Portland, but also other, you know, cities, right? Yeah. I always joke and I told someone this morning, I was like, I don't really consider myself an entrepreneur. And she listened to me talk about my background and she's like, okay, well, that's like the most bizarre statement I've ever heard. <laughs> and I'm like, well, I'm not like a founder. I never started anything. But my very first job out of like grad school was working for a tech company 
that was a custom software development organization, but it was very startup-y. Like it was, you know, early 2000 and we didn't know what we were doing. And I thought my boss was so old and he was like 29. <laughs> oh, <geez>. And <laughs> yeah. I was like the 17th employee yeah. and we grew this company and it was really fun. And then the company was acquired and and we were like, wow. wait, what do we do now? Like mm-hmm. we, we forged this path that no one before us has ever forged. And mm-hmm. you know, now I'm 15 years past that. And it's like, okay, that that was not the reality. We're doing something that a lot of people are doing. And I I wound up in a couple of different tech startups and then transitioned into tech association work. Mm-hmm. And with that, actually got a whole different perspective on the startup ecosystem because I had done like a services startup that went through that acquisition process and like did really well. And then I worked for a longer established privately held company that at one point had been a startup and like got to kind of see their success and then joined a startup that was trying to be acquired by a manufacturer. And, you know, that went down in flames. And so I felt like I'd sort of lived all sides of it. But then when I started in the association world, I really got to see people at the inception of their idea to sometimes an exit. And like, that's a really cool place to be. And I left the Tech Association of Oregon in January, uh, I guess technically February. And when I started thinking about like what I wanted to do next, I really sort of centered on either young people or young companies or a combination of both. And it goes back to like that first work experience I had where I thought we were so alone. And now realizing that we were just alone at that moment in time because there weren't these kind of networks that were thriving the way they are now. And so like how cool to come full circle and kind of capture that enthusiasm that I had in that first job, but with lots of different entrepreneurs and then help them on the paths to success. Well, I I love that. And it makes a lot of sense. And too, you know, since you've had that background, you can really, I think, relate to a lot of the the folks you're working and and helping. And a couple of things I want to We'll put a cap in. You said you took, you know, the time between the, your last position and this. We, I want to talk about that. We'll talk about it a little bit. But just, you know, I think Portland, from my perspective, is a very supportive place of early stage companies, just founders in general. And there's a few, you know, organizations. Obviously, your uh, the the TAO we used to work with, and some others that uh, I think are pretty close knit. They kind of all work together, but they all have their own flavor, right? So how that just bring everybody together from the investor side, you know, creating these networks and is that, do you find Portland to be a relatively supportive place and can you doing it? Uh, that, or is it, uh, we've had challenges with the pandemic, obviously, but how, <laughs> of, yeah, we, I don't want to derail the conversation too much, but how is, uh, you know, how is it right now? The support of the founders coming back from that. Let, yeah, let's get rid of that outlier. Um, <laughs> I think what's really interesting right now, and this is obviously a moment in time, but the narrative around it's a terrible time to be fundraising. Um, it is not the best time to be fundraising, but it's also inaccurate to compare it to 2021, which was probably literally the best year ever to try to get capital because it was cheap. 
And if you're sort of reading the trends, which I've been doing again now that I'm back working, like we will still see more money invested in the region in 2022 than we did in 2020 and 2019 and 2018. Like 2021 is just going to be that outlier. Mm -hmm. And then when you dig a little bit deeper in from like an investing standpoint, you see smaller deals, uh, but you see more companies. So Mm. I think that early stage is doing pretty well. And and that's what Portland has. Portland, Oregon in general, um, Southwest Washington has a lot of. I think that it's the the larger rounds that are a little more difficult. But I don't know that that's really ever been Oregon's sweet spot. I mean, I think at that point, that's when you see companies getting investment from outside the state. And I think people are excited to keep supporting entrepreneurs in Oregon and Southwest Washington because we are such like a embraceive culture of local. Yeah. And it's local from our wine to our food startups to our tech startups to our consumer products. Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't know that I think that any community does that better than we do. Yeah, I mean, I'm just thinking about you mentioned like consumer products. You have like Built and Mitch Doherty. What uh, they're doing is also uh, wonderful to see. How are, I don't know if you can answer this because if I'm going to ask it, how are founders doing? Like how, not like business-wise, just like this is a different type of environment to be starting a company and running a company. It takes a little more, I don't know if resilience is the right word, but uh, it is different than 2021 where capital is flowing like we're all buying things we're just sick of saying our houses so it's it's a little different i don't know if it's a little more back to normal but you know how, how how are you seeing founders kind of make making their way through this well that's a good question and it'll circle back to when we take the pin out of my sabbatical yeah one of the things that we'll talk about is like i just decided i needed to prioritize my mental health and anybody that's following what Malia Spencer is writing about in Portland Inno knows that she's written about that uh, several times throughout Mm -hmm. the course of this year. And I think that I'm seeing it more, the reprioritization of mental health, which looks very different if you are a founder of a company, because it all starts and ends with you and the pressure is different. But I, I do believe that we are focusing the narrative more around founder mental health I know that the organizations that are supporting founders are really prioritizing it. But what I'm seeing like from the OEN network is there's an enthusiasm to get back out in the new defined ways. And I'm not sure that we all know exactly what that is. I mean, I just got off the phone with a founder and what was really compelling was She said, you know, I have this nine to five job and I've got my startup and I'm ready to be at that break even point because I'm done with nine to five because Mm -hmm. the last three years proved out to me that I should be doing what I love and following my passion for my company Mm -hmm. is what I really want to be doing. And that seems to be where some of the enthusiasm is coming. And I do think we can be reflective on that from the pandemic years that that was hard and okay, we can do hard things. So why not do hard, hard things in service of our dreams? Yeah. Um, and that's maybe a little idealistic, but that's always the spin I take when I am 
hearing entrepreneurs and founders talk. Yeah, I don't think it's idealistic. I totally agree with you. And I think what we'll see, and this is just like, uh, you know, I mean, no, no expertise necessarily. We're going to see better companies. And when I, when I say that, you know, I don't know about necessarily better returns, but better companies that people want to work for and work with in early stage. And I, I love these conversations. I've been, you know, following, um, you know, Portland, Inno and profiling some of these, these, um, you know, founders about mental health. And, um, so I think that's amazing. Like, I think that's going to just hopefully, uh, you know, really create better companies in general, uh, people to work for, because yeah, I think we've all known people, you and I, that are just like, what am I doing? I'm done with this job. And some of them have been very late in their careers, very at the quote unquote top uh, of, uh, you know, executive leadership. And so uh, I think, I think that's a little inspiring. So. And there's one thing I would like to address because I think it's necessary. Um, you brought up built, and then we also have Stephen Green and Juan Barraza doing Pitch Black and um, Pitch Latinx. And I think that it's really critical to point out that even in the OEN ecosystem, we've not prioritized those founders of color. And so it's awesome to see partner organizations really doing that. Um, I don't know if you saw this, but the founder of Brazzy Bites is also doing an incubator. And no. I think that's yeah. really inspiring yeah. to look at um, the obstacles that we know BIPOC founders, women founders face when you're taking those kind of traditional investment paths. And I'm curious to see how that continues to evolve and how OEN can be a part of those conversations and supportive in different ways than perhaps we have been in the past. Yeah. And I, I've had Steven and both, um, gosh, I'm forgetting the, the Brazzy Bites founder's name uh, at the top of my head, but I've had her on the podcast. And when I love about those conversations in here in Portland is it's a very like they're willing to have it like yes they're willing to maybe call out some things that have some shortcomings and just in Portland in general uh, in that area but they're willing to step in and have constructive conversations of how how to help you know us move those forward right and that's another thing I think is super special about Portland so um yeah thanks for noting that I'm going to take that one step further because yeah. it's not just Brazzy Bites. Salt and Straw did it with OEN for Oregon Angel Food. I feel like it's more traditionally what I've seen in tech where a tech founder exits, does really well and invests or starts a fund or wants to be an advisor for the next mm -hmm. tech company. And what you're seeing with the founders at Brazzy Bites and with Salt and Straw is in these food and beverage innovators, they're actually providing their industry sector specific experience to next gen food and bev entrepreneurs. And I think that's really compelling because these are not, you know, these are not like Coca-Cola's of the world. These aren't giant right. companies, but yeah. they are leveraging their expertise and allowing the next generation of, of food and beverage innovators to access their teams and get some of their knowledge. And that's part of going through their programs or going through our, our Oregon Angel Food program. And I think that that's really interesting because that is that pay it forward mentality that you love to see when somebody's been super successful. 
Right. And even like you said, there's still, even though we think of salt and straw and like Brazi bites, like uh, obviously it's brands we know here and they're doing well. I know salt and straw is in Disneyland now, but they're still going through it too. Like you said, right. They're still running their business. They're not Coca-Cola. They're not these big brands yet. So I, that's awesome. They're paying it forward. So I'd love to talk a little bit about, you know, here we are next week. This will probably come up around, uh, come out around the time your event happens is the OEN Awards. So this is first time they've been back in per- person in a couple of years. Yeah. So uh, what do you have planned? Well, Amanda Oborn, my predecessor and team did an awesome job planning an event that is going to take place at the Portland Art Museum. Um, we are celebrating the power of us. It's the theme is exponential and then it is the power of us. And that was derived from the collaboration and the work behind the scenes that OEN recognized going on in the community that we might not have seen had it not been for the pandemic. The pandemic laid bare a lot of things and it does take a village to support entrepreneurship and innovation, which we just talked about. And so the, the thought is to celebrate all of the folks in the entrepreneurial ecosystem that are supportive the companies that are actually on stage winning awards. Um, so that's pretty cool. We will have a muralist on site oh, who cool. you get to go and um, share like the word that you think embodies the power of us and community. And yeah. she is going to create a mural that will be unveiled at the end of the event that, you know, is the pictorial version of what the community thinks is the power of us. Oh, super cool. Hopefully we'll be sh- sharing that. Uh, we we will be sharing that. Yeah. And I think the thing I'm most excited about, um, I think we have two of our six categories. We might even have three. We may have three full categories that every finalist identifies as a woman. Oh, that's awesome. Which I think is pretty cool, particularly since the Business Journal just had the article again about Mm -hmm. not that much capital coming to women run companies. Mm -hmm. So I think that's really awesome to see. Yeah. And I've, I've always, people always ask me, I've always said this, the best leaders and the best entrepreneurs I've always met have always been women and the best (laughs) I've ever, the best managers I've had that worked for has always been women. So I think that's, that's great. And we have so many amazing, you know, women entrepreneurs here. I mean, you just mentioned two of them and Sarah at Salt and Straw and I'm oh, sorry, the dirt, I'm thinking of the dirt, but, uh, Kim at Salt and Straw. So that's, that's great. And I know it's just important for folks to come together. I mean, I do a lot of in-person events and small things, but just having that, it's so important. So to see it come back is cool. And it's important to, you know, someone as me, I, think of myself on the outside of it kind of observer just it's, it's an important milestone event for the community so it's cool to see when i see stuff even if i can't make it i see it you know stuff on linkedin or who won that's that's awesome it is and it's like it's been almost like three years exactly since this event has been in person mm-hmm. so it's it is really i'm inspired i'm excited yeah, but I also do events. I know it's a ton of work. That's an understatement. <laughs> so, like, it's ton of work. And you're going to be like exhausted afterwards. It's all worth it. But it's just like the collapse after the event. Totally. So, totally. <laughs> I always say this is, you know, my word's not yours. And the best part of an event when you're putting on is when it's over. <laughs> yeah. So somebody, you get that feeling. Um, 
So we'll circle back to, you know, you took some time off and, you know, we didn't know each other, but just like anybody in Portland, we have several mutual connections. So like I saw on LinkedIn through second connections, either sharing it or liking it, you kind of taking um, a sabbatical and you shared some of that. And I really admired that from afar because first of all, um, it's not, you don't see that off, that often, uh, and you know, folks in your position level of career and late in the career of, you know, being transparent with that. So again, I really admired it. And so I don't know if you can share a little bit about the decision around it, some things you learned. Um, I think it'd be really so many things. Um, First off, (laughs) thank you for saying that. Like I tell people now and they're like, wow, like you're really busy. OEN's a big job. I'm like, yeah. The hardest thing I ever did was like, just like from a professional standpoint was to just quit my job without having another job or any plan, like everything else is now much easier. Like <laughs> that was, cause we're not, we're not encouraged to do that. I mean, the number of people I had that were like, this is prime. This is like the time you should be making the most money. Like, what is that gap on your resume going to say? And I'm like, it's mm. going to say that I took some time off and mm. that's what it was. You know, I think it's important to start off by just saying like, I was really tired and I couldn't figure out why. And like everyone was tired, but I had to like do some really deep digging into why I constantly felt exhausted. And so I had started some therapy with the most amazing therapist in the fall of 2021 who assured me that uh, they could not tell me to quit my job. And I was like, but I just want you to (laughs) just make you tell me that. (laughs) Not medically sound. Okay, right. I hear you. But we kind of got down to like the why I was feeling so tired. And I'm happy to share this. I grew up in a household with a lot of mental health issues in the 80s that instead of being addressed were ignored. And learn through that process that like the dynamic in my house sort of created this personality as the firstborn where I'm like the fixer of everything. Mm. And I'm known for this like enthusiasm and energy that I have. And most of it is real. But like I, I just learned as a kid that on like the bad days when like things were not good to just bring that energy and like refocus and like make you know, the people in my house happy and like cohese together. Mm-hmm. And like, I learned that that's some um, fairly like emotionally performative to act like that all the time. And mm-hmm. just the length of the, of the pandemic and like bringing that every day, mm-hmm. like broke, I don't want to say my spirit, but I don't really know what else to say. Cause it was like such mm-hmm. a low place. And like, I knew I wasn't depressed, but like, I just couldn't figure out why getting out of bed was so hard. Like I would be able to get out of bed to like go for a run or spend time with my family. But everything else was just like, I was just giving too much. And so I think that that's basically what it came down to was like, I learned that I was giving too much and like Mm. to stop giving too much, I had to just take it all back. And that I think was probably like the most important lesson that I learned. Because when you grow up in a situation like I did, um, you know, or if your parents are are addicts, like there's a lot of different kind of childhood experiences that can sort of bring you to this place 
once I learned that, I was like, okay, so like, I I have really bad boundaries because I never really learned how to do that either. And so like giving all my energy into the community was like what I was supposed to do. And um, once I realized I didn't need to do that anymore, I was like, okay, like, number one, my self-worth is not tied to my job because I quit my job and people still like me and apparently want me around. And number two, like, this energy does sometimes come across as disingenuous and fake because like it is. And so I really like am thoughtful as I, I came back into this role at OEN of like, okay, where do I need to stop every day? Like, where do I need to stop every week? And like, what's, what's the give and take between being a super champion for the entrepreneurs in this community, which I always will be, but doing it in a way that makes sure it makes it long-term sustainable for me from an energy standpoint. And so like when people are like, oh, your sabbatical looked amazing. I was like, it was like, I did some awesome things. I learned how to ski. I spent a ton of time with my family, but I also did like super intensive therapy that was exhausting and I would do it all over again. And I know it's a privilege and a luxury. Like I know that it was very privileged that I was able to do this, but I 100% believe that I could not have come back to the workforce without doing it. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that. You, you mentioned a couple of things that really kind of resonated. I think we'll, for a lot of people that listen to this, um, emotionally performative. Is that what you said? Mm-hmm. Sorry if I get it. I think that probably resonates with a lot of folks in kind of this type of world. And then your job defining you. I've had people on this podcast before we've had talked about that. I, I've had a couple people. I don't know if you know, I want his name is Jerry Colonna. He's like an executive coach, really interesting uh, coach. Um, it's just really prevalent. And it's like, I think about it a lot. I have two young kids and I'm just like, how do I, and we, I grew up in the eighties too. So it was like, that was just the, the, the path. And so I'm thinking about it a lot, just as I raise kids of how, uh, and not to, I don't even know uh, how I'll do it, but, um, to not have them feel like that. Right. And so I think the pandemic in a lot of ways, uh, maybe that's helped these conversations. So I just, again, really admire you for doing that and, and, and sharing that. Yeah, totally. I mean, I've got, I think I've got two examples that sort of laid it, laid it bare. I have, I don't have my own kids, but I have two nieces that I absolutely adore. And one of them's birthday is always around Memorial Day. So mm-hmm. I always make it to her birthday. The other one's birthday is in the middle of February and I never make it to her birthday. <laughs> and she was off turn five and she FaceTimes me, Aunt Kara, how come you don't ever come for my birthday? Oh. And you know, Dan, I didn't have a really good answer. And so it's like, yeah. I'll come for your birthday. And I'm like, okay, this is where I need to reprioritize because she's going to remember this because her sister remembers it. And then I think the second one that made me laugh and really like highlighted my learning to embrace my bound boundaries and really prioritize like the people in my life that are important to me. Mm-hmm. My partner's son um, turned 18 in August. Mm-hmm. And when they announced my job at the end of the month in the business journal, he comes over and he's like, you know, that was really cool. I was like, thanks. He's like, I'm super proud of you. And I was like, well, thank you for that too. <laughs> That's cool. 
this isn't going to affect dinner being ready at like <laughs> six or six. Is that? And I was like, no, it's not. Because I have set the expectation that it will yeah. not affect dinner being ready <laughs> at six or six. Those are good examples. And it's funny what I found. This is, you know, different situation and talking to other people. Sometimes those, you know, the, ba- your, your, the boundaries, your, it's more you put them on yourself. Like I, like for the first time, I don't have email on my phone and I took like the first vacation, uh, probably in 10 years without checking email and the world was fine. It's fine. That one, people get it. And so a lot of it is, I don't know where this weird kind of these expectations come from and and things, but yeah, I don't know if you feel that way too, but. Which is humanizing. I think the pandemic humanized all of us and. I, I now think it's very hard to just leave that at home. I mean, I'm yeah. still sitting in my house. So like, right. like that yeah. just now goes with me places. And I mean, that's one thing I think I'm kind of seeing from everybody. Yeah. And people are, I mean, I will have a bad day and I'll be on a call. Like I'm potentially maybe supposed to be selling some, something for something I do. And I'm just like, I'm just not really feeling it. I've had a, just a really bad day. <laughs> and people are just like, they get it. And they're like, kind of like, it almost breaks, breaks it down a little bit to have a better conversation. So I think that's a good thing. That's probably came, you know, from the past couple of years too, right? Yeah. And I will say, like, I've read a lot of books, like a lot, a lot of really good books. I just finished one, a 4,000 weeks time management mm. for um, mortals. And like, no, 4,000, yeah, 4,000 weeks. If you live to be 80, that's how many weeks you get. And so like, right. it's about, pri- like you when you think of it that way, you're like, oh, how do I really want to prioritize this? And I want to prioritize this community and ensuring that people are able to pursue their dreams and build their companies and provide more jobs and inspire future mm-hmm. entrepreneurs. And I also want to like make it to all the birthday parties, every yeah. big life event. And when my father calls thinking he's having, you know, a health crisis, which he's not, I need to be able to deal with him too. And so right. like, I don't know that I was as open and upfront about all that other stuff before. Mm-hmm. And I've gotten feedback. People were like, you seem way more real. And like, mm. I was like, yeah, like mm. I've, this is, I'm bringing me. And if it's not what you like anymore, that's okay. Because those are, yeah. those are your feelings. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, totally. And I mean, one more thing thing about the ask about this it sounds like during your sabbatical you picked up some new hobbies um this is very much just me asking i my mission i have no hobbies just because i'm you probably a lot of people can relate to this if you have a certain station in life you know and my goal is to get a hobby in 2023 for myself so where how did you do a lot of these things before or is it like this was a time you're like you really made space for yourself to kind of learn new things and it's like a yes end on that one. Yeah. So like, I think it's pretty well known that I'm like a intense endurance runner, but I always do those things at like four in the morning. And I actually like took the time to like, I don't know, stretch and like mm-hmm. learn about joint mobility and like mm-hmm. feel better as an athlete. Um, mm-hmm. And I have always really liked cooking, but aforementioned uh, 18 year old is a real foodie. <laughs> And so, okay. like, t- we took cooking to, like, a whole new level. Oh, like, cool. he came over one day, and I was like, yeah, so I learned how to cook octopus today. And you're going to grill it. And, like, we had the awesome. best time, like, 
pursuing that. And that was like a fun hobby because that was like a family one. And yeah. um, I did pick up the skiing and that was super fun too because when you're not retired um, and you go up to Timberline or Mount Hood Meadows on a weekday, you get to hang out with like a whole slice of the community that you have never met before. Right. Just people, are, yeah, the people can go midday. Right, right can just, literally go skiing right. on a Tuesday at 9 a.m. And I'm like, yeah. this is amazing. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's cool. Thanks for that. Uh, that's again more of my uh, personally for me how to do to do it. So before we go, where can people just you know learn more about what's going on with OEN, um, support it, or some other initiatives you're involved uh, with? Uh, totally. So OEN is www.oen.org. Um, yeah. I tell everyone that if they email info, that's also me. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's easy to find us. That's where you're going to find the OEN staff as well as following on our social channels. The only other thing I'm super involved in right now is I serve as the bond accountability chair for PPS. Okay. I would prefer people not to tune in to those public meetings because <laughs> I don't ever think I sound very smart. I'm like, this is really on my background. But I would say like just, you know, check out OEN and and the partners that we have in the community. Like as as we started off this conversation, it's been eight weeks and we have the awards next week. So it's really going to be like post the awards mm. that we'll start pushing out what we're going to be doing next year. But I'll give a little teaser. We did Angel Oregon Bio and Oregon Angel Food in 2022. And I think we're going to go big and also bring Angel Oregon Tech and do oh, great. three Angel Oregon event. Awesome. Yeah. And then That's I would good. expect to see the pub talks maybe looking a little different, like some traditional investor focused type conversations, but also maybe some ones about like, are you a founder interested in pursuing funding that is non-dilutive? So uh, hmm. stay tuned. I think we can do yeah. a yes end. That's great. I mean, the pub talks are just like a staple. They're a staple. Right? So that that's great. Those are continuing and might be refreshed or changed a little bit. So did we'll you carry- see? Yeah, I went to my first pub talk dressed as a bumblebee. No. And no, my I mean- my partner for work, Alex, dressed as me as a marathoner. <laughs> and that was not emotionally performative. We were really both excited to do that. <laughs> that's, that's real. Well, that's just, yeah, that's just fun, though. That's so, real. That's, that's cool. Uh, well, Kara, thanks for, you know, being on the show. And just thanks for everything you're doing with your community. Again, I, you know, get to see some of the work you're doing from afar. And um, I just, you know, uh, I really appreciate it. I know a lot of, a lot of people really appreciate it. So, you know, thanks again. You're very welcome. The PDX Executive Podcast is a production of ThatCast, a Portland, Oregon podcast agency that partners with brands to create custom podcasts. You can learn more at thatcast.com. And please take a moment to subscribe and rate the podcast as well.